1970, two women named Phyllis Papps and Francesca Curtis came out to the world live on television, an act that would change their life and the world we know forever. They brought the word lesbian into every household in Australia on a show called This Day Tonight. At peak viewing time, 7.30pm, Phyllis and Francesca came out. They were the first lesbian couple to come out on TV using their full faces and identities. There would be no secrets for them anymore. They sparked a movement and the repercussions for them were huge. Phyllis and Francesca have spent their whole lives since that moment justifying their love and their existence. To friends, family, neighbours, strangers, health professionals, the government, their very public story and their relentless activism has had a significant impact on LGBTQI plus rights in Australia and most likely around the world. You're listening to Shut Up Small Talks with me, Alice, and we are speaking on small talks with friends of the podcast about their activism, art and ideas. And today we're going to talk to AP, a filmmaker who spent years by Phyllis and Francesca's side to capture the most honest and beautiful documentary about their love. My name's AP. I'm a transmasculine filmmaker from Melbourne in Victoria on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nations. And I love to tell Australian queer stories through film and documentary. AP's documentary, looking at the love and life of Phyllis Papps and Francesca Curtis, is called Why Did She Have to Tell the World? And that's what we'll be talking about today in Small Talks. People didn't think lesbians existed. I didn't know any lesbians. Well, I didn't know anything about homosexuality or lesbianism. Gay women were invisible. Phyllis and Francesca were coming to age and understanding who they were when homophobia was rife. It was a criminal offence for a man to be gay, and lesbians apparently didn't even exist. But gay and lesbian groups were beginning to form in the 1960s and 70s in Australia. They took inspiration from the lesbian political civil rights groups overseas, in the US, with groups such as the Daughters of Bilitis and similar groups in Paris and Europe. And now it was Australia's turn. And so this is the little slice of history where Phyllis and Francesca come in. This is the type of kind of conservative environment they were fighting against in their early days. And so I asked AP what exactly it was like for the queer community in Australia around the time Phyllis and Francesca were becoming active. I mean, for anyone who was a part of the community, it was very, very hard. I mean... Because it was 1970, it was pretty much the end of the 60s. Like that mentality was still lingering. And um, Phyllis and Francesca always described the 70s as a pivotal time for change because between 1970 and 1972, there was a lot of socialist movements going on, rights for abortion, women's rights, Vietnam War was going on. There was just so much happening. But for queer people, it was so much harder. It, It was still seen as a mental disorder. It was still illegal. For gay men, it was illegal. For lesbian women, it was um, it was invisible. We weren't even written into the le- legislation at all. Um, so it was this weird sort of 
time where men were being entrapped by police all the time and were being being arrested for, you know, sleeping with men or being who they are. And for women, they didn't even know what the word lesbian was. Like Phyllis and Francesca had never ever heard, even heard of the word. So it was this different type of invisibility that really kind of ate at the soul and the mind of a lot of women. Queen Victoria found it impossible to believe that there could ever be such a thing as a female homosexual. And even now, a lot of people just simply don't imagine that lesbians in most cases can be ordinary like everyone else. When white settlers invaded Australia in 1788, many of the early laws they brought with them were based on British rule. So Queen Victoria had no idea about lesbians, and so it simply just wasn't written in any legislations or anywhere, it just wasn't documented. And this meant socially women had nothing to identify with. Their sexuality was not considered because the same language for talking about it didn't exist for women. And because the words weren't there, many women knew that they felt differently, but they didn't have the same means to express why. So when they saw Phyllis and Francesca talking about their experiences on TV, they instantly saw themselves. AP took me back to the beginning and told me about the first time Francesca was seen on TV. If you go right back to the beginning, Francesca Curtis is noted as the first lesbian woman to appear on television with her face and her name on a program called The Bailey File. And then four months later, Phyllis met Francesca on television, saw her interview, contacted her. They fell in love. And then they decided that they would go on this day tonight on ABC in October. So four months after Francesca's appearance and they went on and they came out together and they were speaking about ALM in that program, which sparked this whole kind of movement for women to come out of the closet. Good evening, I'm Bill Peach and the program is This Day Tonight. Most people find it hard to understand the kind of love that Phyllis and Francesca feel for each other. I went into a relationship with another woman. With another woman. I wanted to get up and I wanted to tell the world and I wanted the world to accept it. My mother, she sat down, she started crying and said, oh God, where have I gone wrong? Dad said, did she have to tell the world? After they met, Francesca and Phyllis were heavily involved in supporting women coming out. They'd host parties for women to meet and socialise, and in 1970, they started the Australasian Lesbian Movement, also known as ALM. And the reason why ALM started and the Daughters of Philitis started was because there was a young woman who came out. Um, she's never been named, a young woman who came out to her parents. She got thrown out and she took her own life. And Phyllis and Francesca knew her and they thought, oh, my God, we need to start something where, like, women know that they're not by themselves because there was just no no gay women in the media at whatsoever. So it was it was it was a time of revolution, but it was a time of, of hiding at the same time. It was such a transitional period. And I think at a time when identity means so much to us, um, like now how we identify is such mm. a big part of who we are mm. for, for some people, for some people it isn't. But it must have been really hard for lesbians back then when there wasn't a term at all to understand. Mm. Yeah, Phyllis, I mean, Phyllis and Francesca, they were pretty much the first people that women could turn to and be like, that's who I am. 
which is so, so important. I mean, we think about all, like, the queer idols we have today and, like, who we follow on Instagram and, like, our styles, you know, and, like, even the terms now, like, even being a non-binary filmmaker, like, even saying that, after researching the 1970s, like, this world has been a part of my life for, like, five years. They offered that olive branch for other women to cling on to. And without it, there probably would have been more casualties. There probably would have been a lot more women who either took their own lives or stayed where they were. And it, it's been really interesting talking about, like a lot of people talk about the bravery that Phyllis and Francesca had about coming on television, which is 100%. But when I talk about it to Phyllis and Francesca, they also say, well, you know, what's what's what has more strength, coming out on television nationally or staying in the shadows your whole life and writing that out? Because those women, those women who were stuck in the closet were just as strong. It was a weird time, but they offered that that olive branch and there were a lot of, there was a lot of women who didn't understand themselves. And that was the point of ALM was just to create some sort of understanding for people. The differences between the way that um, gay women and gay men or anyone in the community were treated, were they as demonised as each other? I think so. I mean, I think we've come a long way to see the community as some sort of togetherness and, and that's great. I mean, there's still a lot of work we have to do, but I think back then, yeah, gay women and lesbians were seen as two separate things, although they were very much mingling and, you know, Phyllis and Francesca had lots of gay male friends um, and vice versa. I think the social perceptions were completely different. I think for men, they were seen as perverted, predators, dangerous criminals. And for lesbians, people just think they didn't exist. They just, they just, they didn't believe it. Like it was a myth. Which I think both identities or both social perceptions have completely, both have different struggles. But yeah, they were seen a lot differently. Mm. And so what were the repercussions for Phyllis and Francesca following that interview that they went on TV this day tonight? Mm. They they describe it as, as devastating, devastating effects, mostly in their private lives, as anyone would imagine. Um, so... Basically, once they had both come out, Francesca's parents actually didn't watch the interview or didn't know that she was a part of it. Um, and then a neighbour came around knocking on her door and told her mum that I, I saw your daughter on television last night and she was telling everyone that she was a lesbian. And her parents broke down and her dad actually turned to Francesca and said, you know, why did you have to tell the world? I don't understand it, which is where the title of the film came from. But for Phyllis's family it was it was very very devastating as well Phyllis is from a Greek Egyptian background and is an immigrant so her parents basically gave her or her mother basically gave her the ultimatum and said you know I'm happy to see you again but I won't see you both together and Phyllis chose Francesca at that point it was it was devastating Phyllis's mother took legal action against them both to um, prevent them from making a claim on their inheritance but they were the public face of it and with only four television channels at that stage and this was a show that everybody watched everybody tuned in but the most devastating effects were with their family I mean Phyllis and Francesca really chose each other upon, upon everything and I think that they're, they're so ahead of their time in that sense you know there are people who come out today who struggle and I'm not saying that you should pick people over your family that's that's devastating but they had the agency before of people who I don't even know have the agency today. Do you know what I mean? They're so ahead of their time, but it was devastating effects for both of them. Mm. 
And why do you think Phyllis and Francesca's story is so important to tell now as well? Um, well, the fact, I mean, the thing that always like boggled my brain is the fact that nobody knew this. Like I didn't know it before I read it on the internet. And I, and I, I just think that like we're not taught our history as queer people. And I thought that like, oh my God, how can nobody know these women? But I think it also comes down to remembering. I mean, as a queer person, I will never experience what Phyllis and Francesca went through ever. And I think it's really important to rem- remember and retell these stories because they make up who we are. They make up our whole community. Every little last anecdote does. But I also think it's important to we ha- still have so many things to do in this community and, like, to, to know that the fight isn't over. That I can't even describe how many people I talk to and they say, oh, what are you talking about? Like, homophobia doesn't exist anymore and transphobia doesn't exist anymore, which is just bullshit. Sorry, but it is. Yeah, no, it's a total, it's a total, it's a total piss take of mm. um, the fact that like how many systematic and subtle ways that queer people are being uh, marginalized or you know um, discriminated against is crazy. So it's it's about it's so important for today to be able to realize like we still have such a long way to go, and also to know our history because I feel like we walk through the world without knowing that and we think that we're not entitled to it, which is completely a myth. We are. We're so ready to own our history and to tell it. I think we're in a moment where we are struggling to celebrate trailblazer activists that came before us. In many cases, because we don't know who they are, the Karens who were radical as, because they existed too and the baby boomers who did some bloody good work. And I'm not saying they were all good, but my God, some of them were epic. In Australia, 11% of the older people are LGBTQI+. But where are they and who are they? AP's relationship with Francesca and Phyllis is clearly such a huge and important relationship to them. And the idea of not having that intergenerational friendship is probably, for AP, really hard to fathom. We need to hear stories from the trailblazers before us, whether that's the feminist movement, gay rights movement, civil rights or environmental and climate movement. As much as we can look at what went wrong in our modern history, we can thank those for getting us this far and the wonderful work that they've done. It has come a long way. We have come such a long way and sexuality, diversity has been amazing. But, you know, I think trans rights are like 10 steps behind, especially for people of colour, especially for people with disabilities, especially people in rural communities. Like there's still so much to do, but it's just it's just a cycle. And like we have to learn from it. And the idea that intergenerational relationships are, is what makes that cycle so much stronger as well. What do you think needs to happen there? How do you build strong intergenerational relationships mm. in the community? I think just broadening our perspectives a lot. I think the queer community is it definitely lives on a digital platform nowadays, well, especially after 2020. But we have to have the agency to be able to look for these people. I think people like Phyllis and Francesca have given so, so much to our community and have done so much work. I think there needs to be more programs and systematic programs that gets us to talk to these people. And we need to talk, it needs to just be more in public discourse as well. But just open your eyes a little bit more and just take the time to listen 
And I, I feel like your identity as a queer person will be so much more rewarding, but it's just, it's, you have to scope it out. Like I know Phyllis found me, but that's a one-off. I think, I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's a one-off, but I think now as young queer people, we need to give back and we need to do that work. And what impact has Phyllis and Francesca, their story and themselves had on you? An, an immense impact. An immense impact. I mean, I was just, I was just saying the other night, I was, uh, last night, I was just saying these, these women are, are they're part of who I am. I've like, I've essentially gr- grown up with them, which is, it, it, which is really a real privilege, I think. But they have a massive, they've had a massive impact on my life in the way that I accept other people and, and how, how empathetic I am to others. But just, I, I can't, I can't describe it. It's just, it's just this, this. They're always going to be a part of me. And I feel like there's going to be little parts of them in everything I make. I think from the one thing also that I took from it was just the, the patience they must have had throughout those years in educating mm. people consistently and just continuously working on that within their community mm. for the actual good of the community. They're very patient. Francesca's 90 and Phyllis is 78 or almost 78. And to like, you know... How, to to re-spill spill your story to two young filmmakers over two years is a massive effort and they're, they're done. I don't think there'll be a sequel again, but like to regurgitate a lot of what they went through is a big deal for them and they have to relive it in a sense. You know, they have to kind of go through that trauma again. So they're the most patient people on the planet in my eyes. But I think back then they did know it was for the greater good. But I think they also had that agency and that ability to be able to know, to have the strength in who they are. And because there were so, there were so many women that weren't educated about lesbian identities. So I don't, I think without the patience of Phyllis and Francesca, I think there, there would be a lot of women still in the closet, which is funny because I feel like we have a different perspective of that now. I think we have a lot of, you know, you go away and you do your own research. Google is a thing. But in the seventies, Google wasn't a thing. Yeah, no one had no one had anything. No one had the internet. No, one, there was maybe a couple of books at the end of the library. You know, that was shunned away. But there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing for you to work off. You only had each other. Phyllis and Francesca won the LGBT Lifetime Achievement Awards back in two thousand and fifteen. Without these two trailblazers, life would undoubtedly be very different in the community and the rights of those women in Australia would be compromised. But now this film is their final coming out and they hand over the beacon to the younger generation to continue their work. Ladies and gentlemen, Lifetime Achievement Award goes to Francesca Curtis and Phyllis Katz. Thank you. Well, not bad, the two old Sheilas from Phillip Island in Victoria. The repercussions of appearing on television were absolutely horrendous in terms of family, friends, work colleagues, neighbours, and so on and so on. But we did it, 
for one word, acceptance. I think the future, it's not really about us. It belongs to the young people. And we leave it to them to carry on the wonderful work that has been done. AP worked with a team of A-grade legends on this film. Just to name a few, there's producer Bonnie Scott, who's an absolute talent, executive producers Sue Maslin and Diana Fisk. They all brought this coming-out story to life and a coming-out story that spans over 50 years. If you're in Australia, you can watch the documentary Why Did She Have to Tell the World? on ABC iView and it'll actually be screening tonight on March the 21st on ABC TV live at 6.30. And if you're not in Australia but the UK, Germany, the US or anywhere else in the world, you can keep up to date with the documentary on Instagram and watch this space because the team are working on getting it distributed far and wide so it could be with you very soon. And while Phyllis and Francesca's story is unique to them, this movement happened. There'll be neighbours, maybe relatives and friends who may remember this time and know somebody themselves who was a trailblazer for the LGBTQI plus rights. This is an Australian story, but it is not wholly unique to Australia. Maybe find out more about the movement in your area and the continuing fight for freedom, equality and acceptance and join the LGBTQI community on the ongoing battle that still is incredibly necessary. You can explore Phyllis and Francesca's story online at whydidshe.com.au. Check out today's show notes for all the social links and websites you'll need. And the archival audio that you heard throughout this episode was taken from the trailer of Why Did She Have to Tell the World? So it's just a little snippet of what you can expect from the documentary. You've been listening to me, Alice, and AP on Shut Up, Small Talks. Thanks for listening. Listener.